Today, I know it is uh, spring break for most of the people in Lapel, and I know we have a lot of people out today, but I just, um, first off, want to thank you for being here today. It's such an honor and a privilege that you'd come spend your Sunday morning with us. It means a lot. I'm Tyson. I'm the pastor here at the River. Thank you, Ben. And can we give our band a, a round of applause? They do such a great job every week. And they're an amazing, amazingly talented group of people. Well, this morning, um, you, you might have seen on uh, social media or on Facebook uh, that we have a guest with us this morning. Chuck Lofton, would you come on up? Chuck Lofton is the, yes, let's give him, thank him for coming today. Um, Chuck is a meteorologist for WTHR Channel 13, and it's such an honor to have Chuck with us today. Chuck was here about four years ago, and you might think that when Chuck, when Chuck shows up that he and I sit and we talk about the weather, but we don't. Actually, we spent this morning talking about church, and Chuck has been a part of two, I think, mm-hmm. two church plants and started two churches from scratch and been a part of those, and so we've talked a lot about that. I don't think we mentioned weather at all. Thank goodness, no. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Chuck, I'm going to turn it over to you, all and right. um, you can give us what the Lord's given all you. All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Hey, it's good to be with everybody this morning. And uh, I, 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 I sense the tepid response that you woke up, saw snow out, and you thought, and I am not going to go hear him talk today. But it is good to be here with you. I would like for you, and I know you've been standing for about 20 minutes. I'm going to ask you to do it one more time, if you would, please. Would you please stand? And um, Amy's words really meant a lot. Words have real power. They can kill. They can lift up. They can leave scars. They can leave permanent blessings. So let's talk to the Lord right now. Father, uh, I thank you for this day. I thank you for this wonderful group of folks at the river. And uh, Lord, I'm really asking you right now to just cut through anything that may be here today so that anything I say, uh, stuff that's in your word, that we could just reach people here today. And uh, I want to ask you all, and you do this silently, but if there's anything that you need to confess that you came to church with, maybe it was kind of ugly at home this morning, or maybe there's some sin that you really haven't confessed, I'd I'd really like you to do that silently right now. So I'm just going to give you a moment. If you brought anything here with you that you'd like to confess to the Lord, let's do it right now. And Lord, we thank you. Uh, that we have that ability to just come to you because you already know what's going on in our life, but that we can verbalize that to you. Father, we thank you that you love us that much. Now I want you to, uh, before we continue, I want you to thank the Lord for one particular thing, person, event that maybe you you fail to thank him for right now. Maybe it's a, a meal or a job, whatever it is. I'd like you to do that right now. Lord, I thank you that the people of Lapel can come here and worship you in spirit and truth. And we ask that that will continue today. We love you, Father, in Jesus' name. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right. Well, you can have a seat. 
and you'll be seated for a few more minutes. So that's good. Well, it's so good to be here with you today. As uh, Tyson mentioned, the last time I was here was about four and a half years ago. And it just seems like two years ago, but it was about four and a half. And at that time, we kind of sat up front at a table and Tyson basically interviewed me. But today I'm going to get to speak to you. And I, I want you to know that if you are a major in sermonic art, I ain't the guy for you. Um, when most of my friends are pastors, I don't know how that happened, but it just is. And one of my really dear friends, Tony, years ago when he graduated seminary, he immediately got a church. And that church was in eastern Kentucky. He was from Richmond. So... The, the second Sunday, I think he was there, he had just been married. His wife played, the, I mean, this was something out of a Norman Rockwell portrait, folks, because he played, uh, she played the piano, he preached, it was a tiny church, and uh, they had, uh, for his second sermon, he had asked all of his family to come on down from Richmond. So they drove the five or six hours down into the, the really rural part of eastern Kentucky, and they were all there, every age group representing his family. And he preached, and, you know, he hadn't been preaching very long, so it was what, what it was. But when he was finished, a couple people gave their lives to Christ, so he was thrilled about that. And he saw his grandpa, and his grandpa had come down. They had brought him down. This guy was hooked up to oxygen. He was in really bad health. He really couldn't walk. So Tony went up, and he said, Grandpa, this is so cool to see you here. It just motivated me so much that, you know, grew up in a Christian home, and there you are for, to, to hear the first time I preached. And I can't believe that you came all the way to hear me preach. And he said, son, after hearing that, I can't believe I did either. So, so hopefully we're not going to have that today. I don't know if any of you have ever been to England, but if you ever get a chance, I want you to go. You know, my uh, upbringing was in northern Illinois, uh, my parents uh, moved from Mississippi before I was born up there, and uh, our vacations were going to Mississippi to see my relatives. They were never going anywhere really nice and, uh, and, and fancy, and so after we raised our kids and they went to college, my wife and I discovered that we had a little bit of a raise. Anybody there ever been through that? Kids are through school and you got to raise, say Amen. None of you, okay, three of you, that's good. For the rest of you, it'll happen. Just keep trusting in God. You'll have money someday. And so we decided we were going to go to London. And it was an amazing trip. We went with a small group, a small tour group. We went everywhere from London to Big Ben. We saw all the sites. We went to museums. It was just wonderful. But the part of that trip that, and this was only about two and a half years ago, that I remember the most and will stay with me the most is we went to St. George's Chapel at Windsor Castle. Windsor, many of you have heard of it. It's about uh, 20 minutes outside of London. Windsor Castle is where the Queen lives. Uh, Prince Philip lives there full-time now because he's almost 100 years old. He really can't move around a lot. But on that grounds is a church. That church is called St. George's Chapel, and it's been there since 1348. The same church, the same building. 1348. And in all that time, they've never had a church split. So it's an unbelievable place. But while we were there, we're walking through the, um, the, the sanctuary, and it was just beautiful. We, there were people that are buried there. 
monarchs are buried there. There are little markers that say that talk about how God preserved this place when, from evading attackers. I mean, it, it tells, it's like a museum, but people worship there. Well, my wife was coming off two brain surgeries, and we didn't even know if we could make the trip. I'm going to talk a little bit about that later, but we were able to make it. She was very tired, very exhausted. By the way, there is no heat in St. George's Chapel. So this was in April. So it was pretty brisk in there. So while she wrapped up in a blanket, I'm walking around, and I get tapped on the shoulder by a woman, and this lady says, hey, excuse me, are you a Christian? I said, yes, I am. And she said, would you like, it's the noon hour, would you like to come upstairs into the chapel to have communion? And I said, yes, I would. So I told my wife where I was going, climbed up a spiral staircase that in the United States would be banned. This thing was dangerous, man. It was made out of stone. There were no there was no railing, and so I'm just kind of, you know, hugging up against the wall. We got up there, and it was a very memorable time. Inside this room was a man, an older man in his 50s. There was a, a woman in her, had to have been 80s, and how she got up there, I haven't a clue. And then there was a woman, I would say, in her early 20s. She was a very modern woman. She was tatted. She was pierced. She was the only one of us that had a Bible, by the way, with her. And the rector, as he was preparing the communion, uh, he said something that, that has stuck to me to this day, probably for the rest of my life. He's preparing the grape juice. He's preparing the bread. We were going to have communion, but he gave a little devotional. And he said, folks, you are sitting in chairs that are 700 years old. And in this room, 700 years ago, people were going through the exact same thing that you're going through now. Some of them were wondering where the, the next job was going to come to. There were marital problems. Maybe their kids were not behaving. There was a threat of war. There was a threat of disease. People needed healing. And they're coming, they came to the same God that you are coming to now. And they had the same issues that you did. The Lord is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And as we finished our communion, I walked down and I thought, this is so true. We think we're unique. We think our problems are, are specific and unique to who we are, but they're really not. And who would know that really about a year later, I would be back in England. Some of you know that Channel 13, we covered the royal wedding on Sunrise Live. And I was actually there about a month and a half before the wedding to uh, do some special stories. And then Julia Moffat, Ben Hill, and I were there uh, the whole week prior to the royal wedding. We broadcast from Kensington Palace, Buckingham Palace, and Windsor Castle, right by St. George's. And the two visits that I made, again, during those two trips to St. George's, was the same overpowering presence of God that I felt. Um, you know, my mom and dad uh, came to Illinois, which is where I grew up, from Mississippi and Alabama. They came there right before I was born for work. Some of you are familiar with the 50s and 60s in the deep south, there were no jobs. And there was this mass migration. And so my parents moved up to uh, the farthest northern suburb of Chicago. We lived basically on Lake Michigan. It was a wonderful place to grow up. But there were very little Christian works there. In fact, there was one church, that was it. It was a little United Methodist church. Christianity was not in that town neither accepted nor embraced. 
And a man got saved at a Billy Graham crusade, went door to door and started a church, another church. And my parents, who had some Christian upbringing, decided to go there. And I grew up in that church that met at a VFW. Then we eventually got our own building. And in that church, I loved the people. It was a wonderful place to grow up. We had potluck dinners every now and then because the incomes were pretty low, but if we brought all of our food together, everybody had plenty to eat, and we, were, we enjoyed each other's company. It was multi-generational, I, just like this. I see kids, you know, preteen, and I see people who are, let's say, older than 60 in this room, and that's exactly what we had at that church, and it was a wonderful place to grow up because God was there. And folks, even though I was not a Christian till I was 17, I appreciated God, I respected him, and I loved his, his people. But there was a real distance between me and God because I could not grasp making him my Lord and my Savior. When I was 10 years old, um, something really bad happened in the life of my family, really bad. Because there are children here, I don't want to get too uh, into it or too graphic about it, but when I was 10... Um, we had, living in the same town, my aunt, who was 21 years old, her husband, who was 22. He was like a dad to me because my dad worked nights. He went with me to all my uh, basketball games, my baseball games. He helped me with my homework. Even back in the 60s, and that's when this was, when computers were really starting to be, he worked for a computer uh, in a computer department at Abbott Laboratories that makes Enfamil and all kinds of drugs like that. They had a baby who was six weeks old. And my aunt wanted to take the baby to Mississippi for a few days. So she got on the train and, and went to Mississippi to visit all of our relatives. My uncle stayed there. And again, not to get too deep in it, but he died a horrible death while she was gone. The worst possible thing that I could imagine to you, and I was a witness to it at 10. And I can't tell you how that framed my life, but it did. But what I didn't see at that time was how people who loved Jesus, who loved God, came around our family with food. I would go over to kids' houses just because the families knew what I was going through and would play. And it's just they were the walking uh, embodiment of Jesus with their hands and their feet and their love and their hugs and their kisses. But that did set a stage where I knew God was there, but I was angry kid. I was an angry kid. That anger started to get more and more and more present. When I was a freshman in high school, I came home one day. My mom and dad weren't there. My brother, who was a year and a half younger than me, were not there. Um, a neighbor came over and took me to the hospital. My brother, who had been sick with a sinus infection, it spread into his skull and into the brain. And he required, and this was in the 70s, so you can imagine what brain surgery was like there. It required major brain surgery. Uh, he was tilting on life and death for some time. And my dad, I can remember bringing me to the hospital. He said, you need to say goodbye to your brother. It was a very difficult time. He made it through the prayers of so many people, but it took him two years to be normal again. And during that time, I just became 
a little bit more bitter and bitter to the point that even though I went to church, even though I loved the people, even though they loved me and I participated in some things, man, I did not have a love relationship with God that's real and personal. I just didn't. And there was this distance. One day when I was 17, my dad got up and my mom got up and my brother got up and they said, uh, my dad came into the bedroom and said, Chuck, you need to get up and get ready. We're going to church. Now, I said, Dad, I don't want to. 99 out of 100 times, my dad, this was the 70s, parenting was a little different there. My dad never got the memo that screaming at your kid is not allowed. <laughs> so my dad, 99 out of 100 times, would have said, get your tail end out of that bed and let's go. He said, instead, okay, all right, I'll see you when we get home. I was floored. I, I couldn't believe that he said, okay. So while I'm sitting down in a chair, in my pajamas, <laughs> getting ready to watch the Bears and Packers game, a TV evangelist was on before CBS's coverage of the Bears. And so I watched it. I was familiar with this guy. I thought he was a little crazy. And I don't know what he said to this day. I don't know what he said. But one of the things that he did say was, you're a sinner and you need to admit that. And then you need to admit you can't do anything about it. And you need to know that Jesus died for you. And the guy said something like, think of everything that you have done wrong in the past month. And so I started doing that. And he said, did you know that Jesus died for that? How do you feel about that? And I felt rotten. But then he said, you know why he did it? Because he loves you. And he loves you right now. And he wants to change your life because you can't do it. And I'd like to say, folks, that at that time, I had these flowery words that came out of my mouth. And, man, you could write a book on it. In fact, it would be so beautiful, it would, they put it in the Apocrypha. But I didn't. All I could say was, I'm sorry. I knew that was true. So when my mom and dad got home, I knew my dad was ready for bear. <laughs> and he got home and he said, so, who ministered to you today? And I said, dad, I accepted Christ. <laughs> it was like it floored him. But I did. And my life has forever been changed. And I'm hoping that today, in these few minutes that I have, that you get it. If you've never got it, I hope you get it. When I accepted Christ, and you know, it was my junior year of high school, and I was getting my senior year, I was going to college at Southern Illinois University, and my uh, pastor, who was a great guy, said, you're going to SIU in Carbondale. That's the second biggest party school in the nation. I'm concerned about you, especially since you're walking in Christ. Uh, so so young so he helped me get into a place called the baptist student center it was right in the heart of campus there were 150 men and 150 women and it was an awesome place it was right down the street at siu from the communications building where i was involved in radio and tv for four years i grew in the lord i made christian friends like most people i had a girlfriend my freshman year and i thought she's the one and um 
found out that as we made our vows going into our sophomore year, the summer that we were apart, that we would not date anybody, I found out that, yes, I did not date anybody, and she dated the whole town. So <laughs> when we got back, I was crushed. I was devastated to the point where I was going to transfer schools. The director of the Baptist Student Center he called me into his office. He said, what is wrong with you? And I told him, I, you know, I, we've broken up. I, I, I can't even, I don't think I can be here anymore. I'm going to transfer. And he let me talk and talk and talk. And then with all the wisdom of Solomon, he looked at me and said, are you nuts? You're 18. It's going to be okay. But I was still a little devastated. I thought, Lord, I thought this was the one. I thought, as many of you, anybody ever been through something like that? Okay. Yes, all right. <laughs> it's like you're sitting next to your spouse and you're going, yeah, I, I get it. It's cool. You can tell me afterwards the story. And one day, three weeks after this meeting, I was depressed. I, I, I was supposed to be on a church revival team. I didn't want to go. And down the hall walks this girl with, uh, with very long brown hair in a midriff top, hip-hugger bell-bottom jeans. It was the 70s. And I looked at her and thought, Lord, what have we here? <laughs> her name was Mary, and in a few months, we will have been married 40 years. <laughs> and God brought a woman into my life who loves him more than anything. And she has been literally, folks, through hell in her life. But she never put anything or anybody above God. And I knew that when I met her. And I thought, this is awesome. We graduated. Mary went into radio. I went into TV in Evansville. We were part of a wonderful church there where there were a lot of young kids our age who were married. And so we made friends. We grew. Uh, I grew in my career at the NBC affiliate there. And we were there six and a half years. We had two little polywogs. And after about six and a half years, my wife said, Honey, I, I'm really having trouble doing this. We have two children under two. I'm working 60 hours a week. You're working. This ain't working. This is not working. How about this? How about um, we try to find a job somewhere for you? I'll stay at home with the kids, maybe work part-time. Some of you have been through that, and it's difficult. And I knew that I had to go somewhere else, had to leave. Opportunity came. Uh, at Channel 13, they were going to start a morning show. They thought, not only will you be good for this, but you're cheap. So <laughs> I was hired there, and I've been there since 1985 doing Sunrise. And I can tell you that throughout all those times, um, and, and I've really enjoyed it, uh, I've grown into my job. When I was there for the first four years, I spoke at every county fair, every extension office, so that people would know about Sunrise and know about our show, and I got to meet people, got to learn about this state, um, and in my career as a meteorologist here in Indianapolis and uh, in Indiana, I've witnessed everything from tornadoes to be people being killed in flash flooding, uh, from beautiful weather to record heat to record cold, because we live in such a weird state uh, that I've seen a, say amen for the weirdness of Indiana's weather, there you go, but I, I've seen it all. But one of the things that I've also seen is that as my family grew, so did our commitment to Christ. You know, Henry Blackaby, uh, who Tyson and I were just talking about, is, is a great author, pastor, theologian. 
And one of the things he said, and I want you to listen to this, is that in every person's life who is a follower of Christ, there comes a crisis of belief. Something happens in your life where you have to make the decision, I'm either going to follow him or I'm going to reject him. And if I follow him, that means there's going to have to be a change. It, re it requires a change. And in 19, I'm not even going to say the year, because it wasn't, it was in the 2000s, I got called up to the office at Channel 13, <clears throat> and it was on Carb Day, and I was getting ready to drive out to Carb Day. I got called up there, and then I was escorted up there by an administrative assistant. I thought, this is not good. This is not good. Uh, on Carb Day, when I'm supposed to be out there at 9 o'clock, and I'm headed up to the president's office, this is not good. And basically what happened was that um, as... I was introduced to a situation. My boss said, I know that we've promised you something for 15 years. It's not going to happen. I had planned on something for 15 years with my career, had been promised it, and I was, I was shocked. Um, I said, you know, I, I don't know what to do. I, I, I'm, I'm shocked by your words here. And he said, I know. Um, just go on home. And... and don't worry about it. We'll cover everything. For the next three days, I was in a deep depression. I did not tell my wife that this, this thing that had been told me not only was potential of us losing hundreds of dollars or thousands of dollars or tens of thousands of dollars, but hundreds of thousands of dollars. And for three days, I couldn't talk to her about it. I eventually said, let's go to a restaurant. Uh, I want to talk to you about something. And I told the hostess, I want to sit in the middle of the restaurant where there's a lot of chairs because I may freak out. And if there are a lot of people, I'll contain myself. My depression grew even worse. My wife was concerned. My friends were concerned. I went to a guy's house who invited our family over. He's a very wise mentor in Christ. And we're in his pool. That's why we all got to go. He, he had his own pool, which was cool. But he said, while we're in the pool, he said, Chuck, I want you to get out and come with me to my office. And he gave me, he said, I want to give you a painting. And the painting started with a line here that went down, then up, then down, then up, then down, then up, then down. And then the line went all the way off the canvas. He said, Chuck, you know what this is? And I said, it sure ain't the stock market. <laughs> what is it? And he said, this is your life. I had my son paint this. And it's also the story of the life of David. He started out poor, oppressed. You know, he, he took on Goliath. He was elevated in the society and the Jewish society. And Saul tried to kill him, so he went down. And his life was nothing but ups and downs. He was an adulterer. He was a liar. He was a cheater. He was a murderer. But every time he went down, the Lord brought him back up. And my friend Eddie said to me, he said, do you know why that happened? And I said, no. He said, 2,000 years after that, Paul said David was a man after God's own heart. He said, Chuck, I want you to be a man after God's own heart. You'll take this kind of thing easily, and it will be better. Are you a man or a woman after God's own heart? Fast forward. And just a couple of years ago, uh, we were at a party at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway, my wife is stumbling, and we don't drink alcohol. And 
I wonder, what the heck is wrong with her? And I said, honey, you're like bobbing into people. And she said, oh, it's these heels. Well, I thought, man, I've never seen her have this kind of situation on high heels. We're walking to my friends, Doug and Beth Bowles. Doug is a president of the Motor Speedway. She falls right into him. And I said, you know what? And Doug was con concerned because he knows us. He knows we don't drink alcohol. He said, what is, what's going on here? Is she okay? And I said, I'm going to take her home. So Monday, we went to an eye doctor because she already had an appointment. She has glaucoma. I thought that's what it was. And uh, immediately we were sent to the emergency room where doctors operated on a brain tumor that was wrapped around her optic nerve. Eight hours later, brought her into intensive care, neurointensive care, and she started to fail mightily. Vitals gone. They made me leave. I thought, Lord, what's going on here? They immediately took her back in to do another brain surgery, which is just, if you are familiar with that type of thing, you just don't do that. Another eight hours. And another nine days draining cerebral spinal fluid out by the hour for nine days. But in that time, I felt the presence of God, and I was never worried. I was sad that, to see my wife go through, but I was never worried because I knew she loves him, I love him, and no matter what, no matter what, it's going to be okay. Can you say that? about your wife today. In that time, she's had four more procedures and she has done remarkably well. It's the grace of God, remarkably well. She has a service dog that's mainly with her at home. Uh, if you could have a conversation with her, she's still as gorgeous as she was 40 years ago with those hip hugger blue jeans, even though she wouldn't try wearing those today, believe me. But, but we have seen the opportunities for her to share her faith with other people through this trial that she's gone through. Um, let me ask you, like many of you, I believe that we live in a good world, but it is also a random and often brutal world. What do you do when the thing or person that you love most or hang on to most is taken away? when you've lost a child or a spouse, when a pink slip blasts away every dream that you had for a job, when he takes the health of you, a spouse or friend. It's tough to get your head around that. God is good and loving when he takes the things that matter most. Now, I would like to share with you real quickly, and I know we've got to go in just a moment, but if you have your Bible, if you don't, listen to me. Matthew 8, 23 through 27. This is my favorite passage of Scripture. As he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. Suddenly a violent storm arose on the sea so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was sleeping. So the disciples came and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to die. But he said to them, why are you fearful, you of little faith? got up and rebuked the winds and the sea and there was great calm over the past few years I've got to tell you that the past three years have singularly been the most distressing years of my life 
and the life of my family. And it's also been the closest that I have ever been to the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, some of you are not there. You may come here every week and worship and lift your hands and sing. But if I were to get you in a room and talk to you real man-to-man, man-to-woman, you'd say, I'm not there. In fact, some of you may believe that God is good and sovereign, but he doesn't have anything to do with us. Or that he's just too consumed with God's stuff. Or, worse yet, that he gets a sick pleasure out of seeing us twist in the waves of our pain. But, as the Bible teaches, and many of us in this room believe, God is good, and he is sovereign, but we are separated as a people from him because of our sin. And so he takes us and holds our hand and walks us through that tough, tragic thing so that when we're out of it, something good and gracious will come of it. Final story. If you were to ask my boys who my hero in the faith is, they would tell you that it's a man named Horatio Spafford. I grew up on the Chicago suburbs. He was from there too. In 1871, Horatio Spafford was 34 years old and a multi-gazillionaire. He had purchased all of the land along the Chicago lakefront, which as you know, if you're a student of history, Great Chicago Fire burned up all of his land, every bit of his property. He was in a deep depression, and a man named uh, Philip Bliss, who was a song leader at the Moody Bible Institute in the Moody Church downtown, said, hey, why don't you get your family, go on a boat. D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, is preaching in England. You can join him. Let's get you out of this mess and focus on the Lord. He said, okay, I'll do that. He couldn't because the zoning commission of Chicago said, you leave, you're going to lose your land. We have to have you at these meetings. So he sent his wife and four daughters. Now, a backstory: Right after the fire, he lost his only son to pneumonia. So he sent his wife and children on a boat called the Vildahar. While it was in the North Atlantic, it was T-boned by another boat. The boat sunk. All four of his girls died. And his wife was all that was from his family that survived. So in a period of two weeks, he lost all of his children, all of his land, all of his wealth. And while he was on the boat to go and meet his wife, he wrote these words that some of you old-timers are familiar with, and I wish we all were familiar with them. Some of you may not. When peace, like a river, attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You can only say that if it is well. And it can only be well if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ that is real and personal. As I see it, folks, 
You've got two options in life, and that's it. Either an overwhelming, consistent despair because you're separated from God, or a love relationship that is real and personal. And despair can never be an option. When we are going through this pain and the storm of our life, when the wind is blowing and the rain and the hail are hitting us in the face, and when we see that there is no out in the middle of that storm is the sun. God bless you. It's good to be with you. Tyson. Thank you, Chuck. Thank you very much. I'm going to close out this morning. If you're here, let's all just, first off, let's stand up. Let's stand up. I'd like for everybody just to bow your head and to close your eyes. And maybe you were here this morning and you don't know that it's well with your soul. Maybe you're here this morning and you don't have that relationship with Jesus that Chuck talked about. We're going to close with a song, and I want to invite uh, my wife, Lynn, and I want to invite um, to come down on this side, and, and Cameron, if you would come down on this side. And I just want to invite you, I'm going to give you about 10 seconds or 15 seconds or so, just examine your heart do you know Jesus? If you were to get the pink slip or something were to happen to someone you love, can you say, it is well with my soul? I'm just going to give you another 15 seconds and think that over. If having contemplated and looked into your own heart and you don't have that relationship with Jesus, that you're constantly trying to make things happen yourself and not rely on your faith in him, you can't look to Jesus and say, you're in charge of everything. I want to invite you to come forward. Kim or Lynn, they want to introduce you to Jesus. They want to introduce you to the Savior of your soul. One of my favorite sayings is that for the Christian, there is no goodbye. Maybe you've lost a loved one. I want to invite you to that opportunity to say, there's no goodbye for the Christian. Only I'll see you on the other side. Also this morning, if you're here as we close in song and you need prayer for anything else, we invite you to come forward. Cam or Lynn will pray with you, agree with you in prayer.